Thanks for listening to Mosaic, a Jesus-centered communities podcast. Our goal is to help people experience a Jesus-centered life. You can find out more about us at welcometomosaic.info. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it so others can hear it as well. Enjoy the message. Hey, Mosaic, how you doing today? Good morning. I'm so glad to see you all here. Y'all look great. You don't believe me. Thank you. Thank you, whoever. So anyways, but no, we're going to have a great time. This, we're already having a great time this morning. But uh, man, I'm excited about the message today. And so um, before I get into that, though, I want to tell the men uh, in the room about something. We have a men's, our second annual men's barbecue and comedy night coming up this Friday, the 28th at 6 30. And so, uh, man, we're going to have a lot of barbecue, uh, like a three meat option and, and all these sides and everything. It's going to be great. Uh, great laughs with uh, a good friend of mine who is absolutely hilarious. We're going to be presenting our men's ministry as well at that time. And here's what's coming up, what you can expect, what you can get involved with, what you can jump into, those kinds of things. And so there's room for 150 men. It's almost sold out. And today is your last opportunity to do that. Now, the 9 o'clock had an advantage over you guys, but I think there's still room. Uh, but you should get out your phones or something now. Go to welcometomosaic.info and register for that. It's 25 bucks. You can't get this good food. I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find this kind of a meal out for 25 bucks. And then we're also going to throw in just a great time together that night. You can win some fabulous prizes just for showing up, too. So... Please come. Please register for that. We'd love to have this thing completely sold out, and it's getting close. If you just RSVP'd on Facebook on the event that, yes, I'm going, that doesn't do it. You have to register and, so, and pay the 25 bucks to do this. Kind of that, even, that doesn't even completely cover our cost, all right? We're trying to keep this low, as low as we can. And so, um, man, we encourage you to come and sign up, okay? Can we do that? Yes. How many of you have already done that? Thank you. Thank you very much. So, sheesh, I started to get a little self-conscious about that. So, anyways, no, it's going to be great. So, please sign up for that uh, and do it today because after today, the sign-up link will no longer work, okay? So, um, we are in a series of messages called Joyful Expectation. It's our second week. I love that. Um, that's, that's the exact wordage um, of one of our six core values here at Mosaic. That is, we live with joyful expectation. This is how we say it says, you are not an accident. Your life has purpose. We live in the power of grace and the guidance of God's spirit, and we do so with great expectation. I love the way that this is worded because it doesn't suggest that we're just kind of sitting around waiting for something good to happen. That, oh, heaven's coming, and, and we just kind of sit around and try to do the good things and try not to do the bad things. And if that happens, then we have this great expectation that we're going to heaven or something. That's not how it says. We live our lives in such a way for joyful expectation, that we're working towards something better. Joyful expectation is a result of how we live our lives. That's exactly what I want to talk to you today about as we continue with our look at the letter to the church in Philippi. We're going to look at Philippians, obviously, it's a study of the book of Philippians, but we're going to verse, chapter 1, verse 27, first two words, whatever happens, whatever happens. So if someone come up to you and their first words are, 
whatever happens. I mean, it's a little unnerving, isn't it? You know, whatever comes after the words whatever happens is worth leaning into. But it's always unnerving when you hear a sentence starts with whatever happens because it means anything could happen. Things could be, things could go well or they could not. Problems could be resolved in a desirable outcome or they could not. We could be wealthy or we could be, or, or, or not. We could be healthy or not. Whatever happens. The words that follow whatever happens are worth leaning into. So here's, here's what he says. Lean into this, will you? First, uh, it's Philippians chapter one, verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And we're going to stop right there. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And we're going to spend time, uh, the time we have left, talking about what does that mean? What does it mean to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? And I imagine it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. When I hear that phrase, um, kind of how I grew up in faith in stuff. I got saved as a teenager, but, but as, we, as I kind of grew up in faith, kind of how that happened, um, I would read a verse like this. I would read this, this verse and just, it would come to me that I can't mess up. I got to do it right. I got to live right, act right, walk the line, sit up straight, don't mess up. But let me assure you at the beginning of this that that's not, that's not where we're heading, okay? We're not talking about dress codes today, okay? So what did Paul mean, though, when he said, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel? And to begin to understand that, we really need to take a look more, uh, into more of this letter to the Philippian church. So let's just kind of start there again and read another verse. Whatever happens, he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, then, whether I come to you or only hear about you in my absence, because he was in jail uh, in, uh, as he was writing this letter, um, whether I come to you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, by those who oppose you. The city of Philippi, the people of Philippi, um, were opposed to Christianity. They, this was what we call a persecuted church. There were cities like Corinth where it was, it was influenced more by Greek culture. Greek culture was open to different ideas, so that church kind of enjoyed a little more freedom. Philippi did not. It was Roman. They often referred to as Little Rome, actually, because it was so steeped in Roman culture, Roman religion, all those kind of things. It was not, accept, it was not accepting of Christianity at all. And this fact is significant to what Paul means, what he says, look, whatever happens, meaning that some bad stuff could happen, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And the key giveaway to what he means by conducting our lives that way is in what I just read. He says this, he says, then I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, listen to this, striving together as one striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, striving together. Let's move on to, uh, skip down a few verses to uh, verse one of chapter four, of chapter two, sorry. Um, Therefore, he says, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, 
being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not look into your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Are you making a connection between what I just read and what he means when he says to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel? So we can't take that verse by itself and just say, well, it means that I got to live right and act right and not do bad things and do the good things. We got to take a look at it in the context of, the, of, 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 the, of what he's trying to say here. And he's talking directly to how we treat each other. How we treat each other, our relationships with one another. Look, you're going through persecution. You're, as he's telling this church, you're going through some tough stuff here. And so no matter what happens though, you have to keep the main thing the main thing. You have to continue to be the church. You have to love one another. And he really describes what that means. For a long time, like I said, I would read this and I, it would be like, I, I, I would read it as whatever happens, I need to conduct myself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I have to walk the line. I have to do right. I can't mess up. And that's exhausting, isn't it? I mean, I, I've talked to so many people. As a pastor, I've talked to lots of people and they just come and say, look, I just can't seem to live this right. It's too hard. I constantly mess up. Am I the only one that can relate with them? Come on. Am I the only one that can relate with that? Okay, sheesh. Hello, we're church here, so. <laughs> but <laughs> it's exhausting. I can't, I can't do that myself, and I'm a pastor, and they're coming to me, and they're just beating themselves up, and they're saying, I just can't seem to live this the right way. Somehow we think our individual performance is what makes us right with God. And Satan whispers into our ears saying, that's right. You can't do this. And we believe him because we've fallen for the lie that says my personal conduct is all that matters. Me, myself, and I on my metaphorical island, never mind everybody else, as long as I do good and I don't mess up, God will be pleased with me. And I don't know about you, but that's kind of the tradition that I grew up in uh, when it comes to that. It was taught and it was judged <laughs> when others perceived that you stepped out of line. You know, it was pointed out and they're like, and, and, and it was... But as I'm taking this letter in as a whole, that's not what I get from it at all. Should we strive to do good? To yes, of course we should. I want to live in a way that pleases God. And I wonder sometimes, though, if God might define that just a little bit differently than we do. I'm not minimizing the fact that what we do matters. But I wonder if, we might, if it might have less to do with personal conduct and more to do with our relationships with one another. Those that Jesus died for, those whom God has set his affections upon. Jesus was talking to a group of religious leaders one time. I think it is Matthew um, 23. And he's talking to these group of religious leaders. And uh, he says, look, you guys do everything right. You have, the, you have how you're supposed to live down to a T. You even tithe down to, uh, you know, the tiniest amount of your spices and that, the uh, income from, from that. You, you do everything right, but you're not right, he tells them. He says, you're neglecting the, the better, the bigger matters of justice and mercy and faithfulness. He's like, focus on those things. Yeah, do, do, do the right thing, but focus on the more heavy matters of 
horizontal relationships with others, justice, mercy, faithfulness. So let's jump outside of Philippians for a little while. What more did Jesus have to say about this kind of thing? We're looking at Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, we're going to start in verse 31 here. He tells a story of this. He says, when the Son of Man, that's himself, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, he'll sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him. I love that. All the nations. You see that? All the nations are going to be gathered before him. Where am I? (laughs) And he'll separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And then he jumps into this metaphor and he says, he'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when? When when did all that happen and we didn't recognize you? I'm pretty sure I would remember if it was you who was was sick or, or needed clothing or whatever. When did that happen? And he says to them, the king will reply, I tr- truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he turns to his left, to the goats, what he calls the goats here. Then he will say to those on his left, verse 41, depart from me, you who are cursed. So there's a difference. There's the righteous earlier, and now those who are cursed Depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty. All of these things that, that you had the same opportunities as these other people. And you saw this happening and you didn't do it to me. And they're like, when did we not do it for you? And the answer was, when you don't do it to the least of these, you don't do it for me either. What's the difference between these two groups of people? What's the difference their theology, their ability to live or not live different things. No, it's how they treated others. That's the only difference between these two groups of people. You see, God happens to deeply love people. John 3.16, the most popular verse of scripture, right? That we, just about everybody knows it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What does he mean by the world? The earth, the mountains, those kinds of things. He's talking about people there. And at the time, but pre-Christ, before sending Jesus into the world, what was it? It was a world that was so far away from him. His own people just had it so wrong. And it's just saying, you know what, forget you. He loved people so much, he sent his son to make it right. So those who would believe in him would have eternal life and not perish. God loves people. I, you know, and that, that, that right there comes out of, and this is amazing. I had a conversation with, with Brian <laughs> this past week, and it's like, as, there, as we're talking about, we, we ended up talking about these kinds of things, and like, oh, that's going into the message Sunday. <laughs> so, so thank you, Brian, for that. But, um, but uh, that's how just God works, because he, he, I guess he knew what I needed. But Luke chapter 10, we're gonna look at something else here. Luke chapter 10 Jesus was talking to some religious leaders once again. Is that where I am? 
Luke chapter 10, verse 30. And so these religious leaders were trying to trap Jesus in, in, some, in something there, and, and, uh, and they're the ones that hold the keys to eternal life, right? Because they do everything right. And they say, so what do we, you know, according to you, what do we need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, well, what does the law say? And they, they kind of summed it up by saying, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, you're right, exactly. And so, and then trying to justify themselves, they ask the question, so who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds with a story. And he says in verse 30 of Luke chapter 10, Jesus, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day page turn. The next day, he took, two, two, took out two denarii, okay? Denarii. A denarius, the singular form of the word, is a day's wages. One day's wages. He took two denarii, two days wages. I think of that, I'm like, dang, would I be willing to give that up? Two days wages and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is significant. This is a story that so many of us have heard from childhood. But all these familiar stories just, just reinforce the fact that, man, God loves people. And that's more important. But this is so significant because the priest and the Levite, they were religious leaders with important jobs to do for God, in service to God. And according to their law, they did not do wrong by walking, passing by on the other side. In fact, uh, touching a bleeding man would have defiled them and prevented them from their service to God, their holy service to God. So they were not allowed to. So they did everything, they did the right thing according to their law. But the one who got dirty by helping him did better, did better. Galatians 6 says that when we carry each other's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. He, 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 he made the other obsolete and the law of the spirit, the law of Christ now, to fulfill that, it simply says, carry and bear one another's burdens. I'm trying to make a big point here, okay? That when we live out Philippians 2, we are conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And it doesn't matter, you know, my, my, the, the personal conduct of it isn't the main thing. It's what am I doing with those around me? So let's, let's jump back in to Philippians 2 and look more closely at what it says. Now I'm going to read this again. It's not a senior moment. I'm, I, I know I'm repeating myself, okay? But um, Philippians chapter 2, I'm, by the way, I'm not a senior. My hair says I am. I'm not, all right? But uh, <laughs> no free coffee at, uh, at, at fast food yet. So anyways, um, Philippians chapter 2, first four verses. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... 
if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. How do we make Paul, the author here, how do we make Paul's joy complete? By being, it, it, it's not by walking the line, don't step out of line, don't mess up, that kind of stuff. It's by being like-minded, sharing the same faith, sharing the same goals. It's the same love. The Greek word there is every Christian's favorite word, agape. You know, and it's just ultimate love, supreme love, unconditional love of God. One in spirit and in purpose. Um, one in spirit and of one mind. Okay, so when it says one in spirit and of purpose, of one mind, it's not, that, the word used is not, does not mean be the same. Be, 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 it, does, it doesn't mean that at all. Literally, the word used, and I can't say the word, you know, in Greek, but it means harmonious. Be harmonious in spirit and in mind and in purpose. Uh, it's, the Greek word is where we dry, derive our word symphony. Symphony. Oh, I, I love that. Vicky and I used to go to the symphony all the time. We haven't quite some, quite some time. Maybe we should restart that. But we know that a symphony is more than one kind of instrument, right? There's all the sections of different instruments. There's the brass, the woodwinds, um, the, uh, the, the strings, the percussion, and all of that. And within those sections, not all the instruments are the same. It would be weird if all the brass was tubas, right? But it's not all the same instruments. And in those sections, not all those instruments are playing the same things. And we have the, the bass line, the alto, the tenor, the soprano, and variations in there even. You know, we have melody and harmony. We even have completely different different lines of music going on and filling in, and they, but they all work together to complement one another. Not all the violins are playing the same thing. I was in high school band for a while, um, but, uh, and I played the tenor saxophone, uh, but uh, and we would play that, and then, but another part of the saxophone, it's a big band, but anyway, the other part of the sax line, you know, the, even the tenor sax, they would play something different, a different line, and we'd all come together to this amazing, powerful, symphonic movement. It all comes together. Be one in spirit and in purpose. Be a symphony of God's spirit and purpose. Now, I know that's a lot to put into a little phrase, okay? <laughs> I, I realize that. But that's how it's played out in the body of Christ. That's how it is. This is the body of Christ is ginormous. It's millions. It's worldwide. And Paul, the author, says, make my joy complete let it play. Let me hear the symphony. Strings and brass couldn't be more different, but somehow they go together, right? It's the same with the body of Christ. He says, um, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Uh, value others better than yourselves. Don't just look out for your own interests. 
He said, but I want you to, we should be looking out for the interests of others as well. Now we know that Jesus taught that we should serve one another. Matthew chapter 20, he says this, he was talking to his disciples one day, Matthew chapter 20, he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. He was uh, surely talking about kind of the Roman authority that was, that was in place at the time. But he said, using it as an example, he says, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and not only that, but to give his life as a ransom for many. And Paul echoes this once again, verses three and four of chapter two of Philippians. Don't just look out for your own interests but look out for the interests of others. In humility, consider others above yourselves. Then he takes it a step further than that. He's like, you want, but let's take a look at our ultimate example here in Jesus. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset or have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. So we know, he just comes out and says it. What I'm preaching to you is the truth. He's talking about our relationships with other people. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made, found, and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus did all, of the, all that he did, letting go of this nature of God. He is, was God and he said, you know, I'm just going to let that go. He humbled himself. He served us, died for us, everything that, so that everyone would have the opportunity to bow and declare him Lord. That's God's glorious purpose, all to the glory of the Father. That's the kind of attitude that he says that we should have, the same kind of attitude an attitude that considers others above ourselves. An attitude that not only looks after our interests, but also the interests of others. This is not an American attitude, right? We have rights, you know? And the, the worst thing you, should, you could possibly do is to take away my rights and I'll fight. And don't understand, I, I admire and respect and I'm thankful for how that's happened in America. But I'm talking about our own individual attitudes, okay? So don't misunderstand. Our own individual attitudes, is it, Paul, Paul in, in, I think it was 1 Corinthians, he was talking about lawsuits among believers and he's like, how can this, he's like, Isn't it, it's, it's so much better just to take the wrong, just be wronged. It's so much better because you're defaming the name of Christ, you know? Jesus was wronged, was he not? And he took it. The joy set before him, he endured. Talk about joyful expectation. The joy set before him, he endured the cross, endured the wrong. And Paul's saying, you got to have that same attitude. And when we just hold up, you know, uh, all of this stuff, like 
Where's Jesus in all of that? An attitude of humility and service to one another. Verse 12, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What's he mean by that? Continue to work out. Well, what's he been talking about is what we got to look at. He's been talking about how we interact and treat and respect and honor one another here. How we have this unity thing going on with one another. We're not the same, but we're harmonious and we love one another here. Work out that salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you because I don't have it on my own to do this kind of thing. I, I can't do this, you know? Sometimes I'm way too selfish to do these kinds of things, but God works in me to will and to act in order to fill his good purpose that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. He goes on. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. So see, he's still talking about this relationship thing. See, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that the result would be so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault. What causes us to be blameless and pure? Is it my walk in the line, not stepping out of line, doing the right thing always? Is that what it means to be blameless and pure? Not according to this. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. And that's how you're going to be blameless and pure without fault in a warped and crooked generation where everybody's just at each other's throats. Then you'll shine. You're going to show. The result's going to be you're going to shine among them like stars in the sky as you firmly hold to the word of life. It's going to set us apart. The... <coughs> excuse me, early church father Tertullian, he made a comment of how amazing, how amazing it was how the, see how the Christians love one another. He grew up in a pagan culture. He accepted, he became a Christian. He did other things that weren't so cool. But one thing was he was amazed at how the Christians loved one another and it set us apart from everybody else. Is that how it is today? What would it be like if the church did this? What would it be like if the church did this, if we conducted ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? Oh, believers around the world all joining in with a powerful symphony of God's spirit and purpose. What would that sound like? What would that look like? We're talking about joyful expectation, right? That's our series. It's not the kind of expectation you have when, when awaiting some kind of perfect attendance award at work right? <laughs> or at school, you know? It's, it's not some kind of top salesperson award. Good on you if that's you, but that's not the kind of expectation that we're talking about here, you know, just to conduct ourselves. I'm going to do right. I'm going to be the good one and all that kind of stuff. To conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ is to live and prioritize the same things that Jesus lived and prioritized. People, just people, without qualification, you know? It means to imitate his attitudes of humble service to others, considering others before considering myself. This doesn't come naturally. I get that. It doesn't come naturally for me either. We pray, God, help me to do this. What would happen if we all lived like this? If we wouldn't qualify others according to how accurate we think their beliefs are, the inner grumblings of the church, 
or we wouldn't accept or avoid people because of our agreement or disagreement with their choices, lifestyles, or political persuasions. But we just simply loved people because that's who God loves. Ah, Election season is soon going to be upon us. (laughs) Typically the biggest source of division within the church. Should it be? I mean, real, really, should it be? It presents all kinds of polarizing issues that build walls between people and the gospel, walls that simply should not exist. Walls that Jesus never put up, right? Don't you dare fall into that trap. <laughs> Don't fall into that trap because a trap, there's gonna be all kinds of things. A trap it gets people, gets because it looks good. It looks like something I want. It looks like something I need. It's something I agree with and all that kind of stuff, but it takes our attention. It, 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 it's like Jesus talking to those religious leaders. Look, you're doing everything right. And that's what we're looking at in that trap. And he says, you're doing everything right, but you're not right because you're avoiding the greater issues of mercy and justice and faithfulness. Look, don't get ensnared. The Messiah has already come and it's not the president of the United States, okay? Plain and simple. Jesus encouraged us to seek his kingdom first above all else and we help to bring that kingdom as we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. According to Philippians 2, the result of that would be everything everything the church has been striving for for the last 2,000 years for people just to come to follow Jesus, to know him. They're not going to come because our theology is perfect. Show me somebody with a perfect theology. That person doesn't exist except Jesus, right? They're not going to come because we do everything right, right? They're going to come because we love one another. They're going to come because we love them. You know? That's, that's the key. So the church does everything. We do so many things to try to make the message compelling and all of this and all of that. But what it comes down to is you and me, wherever we are, just loving people, valuing people above ourselves, showing something different than what they normally experience in this world, in your business dealings, in your, starting in your home, everywhere you go. God, help me to keep, to keep the same attitude of Jesus. Just served. This just served. And everything that we're striving to do for the past hundreds, couple thousands of years, that's how it'll happen that every knee would bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God, help us. God, help us to really live this. Sometimes it's great to just get a reminder of what the really important things are. Lord, it's, it's good to live life in holiness. It's good to live, to live life and to, to do the right things. Yet, Lord, there's so much more that you value above that. And everywhere I go in the New Testament, when I read this, these kinds of passages, it has everything to do with what we do with others do everything without grumbling and complaining. Value others above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Have the same love of God. So Father, I pray that you'd help us to do that. Thanks for listening to this week's message. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
We invite you to connect with us. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do so at welcometomosaic.com slash give. Have a great week.